to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. With your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rotten about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with sharp and nails. Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. That's like a science thing, right? It's a science thing, it's a science place, it's a scientific fact that we are all up in your face. It is time once again for the one, the only, Protonic Reversal. Welcome to it, welcome to it, and also, welcome to it. Uh, Tonight, hell of a guest, hell of a good time. Talented producer, engineer, musician, all-around awesome fella. Uh... Mr. Ken Andrews of a of failure, uh, you're the rabbit. I mean, many, uh, inter- a very interesting YouTube, if you will, uh, also. And I, I think that uh, this this is going to be good. I am your host, Conan Neutron. I'm a rock and roll lifer who has toured and recorded for over 22 years, most known for the band Conan Neutron, The Secret Friends. Music is a huge part of my life, and I use the format of this long-running podcast to talk about music with musicians whose work I enjoy and respect. Folks that may or may not be household names, but do something very special. This is episode 275. If this is your first time listening to the show, all the archives are at ProtonicReversal.com and are always free. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. If you'd like to support the show... And get episodes sooner, you can give $1 a month to patreon.com slash Reversal. If you like the show, or even just a single episode, please feel free to share it along, like, subscribe, or post a review. All of that helps people find the show, and it's just a darn nice thing to do. Ken, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Fantastic, man. How are you? I'm good. This is this is technically at the time of this recording. This is a release eve, depending on your time zone, I suppose. Maybe you're in Bali or something. It's not the case, but uh, release eve for the for the new failure, right? Uh, I I I see that a few people in Australia are already listening. There you go. It's a, it's the internet in action. It, it works mm-hmm. out well for everyone. <laughs> yeah. I, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, on this on this new failure record is that. This is atypical of a COVID release, if you will, because you guys actually got into a room to do this, like for a good amount of time, right? To uh, mm-hmm. to, to to work this record, which is fairly atypical uh, in this day and age. Now, am I off base by saying that? Or no, that's that's right. I mean, we we got tested before we started doing it, and I think we maybe even got a test uh, in the middle of doing it too. Um, yeah, it was before the vaccine. And, uh, but after there were tests, um, so, but I mean, the place was a ghost town and it's like an eight, eight room, you know, sort of like a larger touring act 
rehearsal slash pre-production recording facility. It's a major facility and we were the only artists there for the entire month. Yeah, that's kind of nice. You, you it was awesome. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to hear anyone practicing their metal riffs or anything, you know, at, at top volume. Not that that would ever happen in a practice place, of course. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. You, I mean, these places are actually, um, you know, soundproof enough between the two spaces that you don't really hear anyone else, except when you go into the common areas or go get something from your car. Right. So it's pretty chill, except for the room we were in which didn't have a like a ceiling on it for some reason and it's so our our writing sessions for that month were actually kind of blasting through that that whole building of this facility and uh you know but there was really not many people to hear it uh like maybe a, a janitor to a security guard did did you <laughs> Did you did the, did the uh, I mean did the the fact that it was kind of isolated mean that I mean did, did sometimes the like I always talk about to folks about how a studio can inform like a record right like the kind of environment in a studio the the kind of uh, you know for lack of a better term not sound hippy dippy about it but the vibe or something along those lines so being in a case where you're in a place that always got um, you know a lot of things happening and it's fairly isolated. Like, does it feel like you're basically, you know, working out songs on the moon or something? I mean, what, what's what's the uh, is it freeing or is it, is it just feel different? I didn't. Ha I, that month was not uh, particularly fun or enjoyable mm -hmm. to me, which was which is strange because we we got so much out of that time in the end um, when, when we went back and listened to it after after the fact. Um, but during that time, it was, it, it was not a good month for the world in general. And so that was weighing heavily on everybody. Yeah. And, uh, but I don't know, there was some, there was just some solace being together and kind sure, of committing yeah. to this weird concept of not actually working on songs but simply improvising without really saying anything. I don't think we hardly spoke about the music at all. Most of the time we were there, we were talking about what was going on in the world and what we were going to get for lunch. <laughs> so then if you're, okay, so that if you're, if you're recording all this stuff, are you are you listening back? Like, how do you, are, are you going for like eight hour sessions or are you, are you yeah. listening back to it like later on and? <laughs> Way yeah, way after it. I mean, I there were a couple things that we may have played back. Um, I didn't really want to hear too much of it. I just kind of w wanted to just do it and evaluate it later, and gotcha. and and that's yeah. basically what happened. So, in fact, by I did another gig in between listening to it, and 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 finish finishing the last day there recording it. And which was awesome, which was so <laughs> it was so good for me to kind of clear my palate and then come back to it and um, realize, wow, there's actually a bunch of really cool things that didn't seem cool when they went when they went down. <laughs> well, yeah, if you guys are jamming things out, right, like you're, you're ideally you, there's only so much listening you can do without taking yourself 
out of the moment. Yeah, and I, I'm sure it could be the kind of situation where maybe something that didn't even make a wave at the time, you're like, oh, hey, that's cool. Like, that's what's that all about? That's interesting. Uh, but again, as someone that, you know, works with his ears, to be like involved in every part of the process like that, uh, how do you find the the clarity just to just to separate separate it out it seems like the editing is going to be the hardest thing right especially if you're just doing hours and hours at a time you know it's it's funny i i do think of myself maybe in a way almost primarily an editor um i i i went to film school and uh before i graduated i was working as an editor in in hollywood i was i was actually the staff video editor for atlantic records for like i don't know four months wow. <laughs> during while, while i was in college yeah yeah and, and so like editing whether it be visuals or music it it just kind of comes second nature to me um and and it's all always been that way so it doesn't seem that odd to me but i can see like zoomed out it's like Wait, how's how's that guy like evaluating his own stuff all the time? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, That's, yeah, it's, it's not... a little weird. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's just how it's been since I first started playing guitar. Really, um, I I, I kind of went down the path of more, trying to be more of a songwriter than a really good guitar player. Right. And so I was overdubbing on top of myself, like way before i ever really should have yeah um i should i should have just practiced for a few more years um so that part of it is it's all one thing to me yeah. i know i think for a lot of guitar players that i meet they're like i was a guitar player and then i became a producer for me i was like kind of doing both things at at the beginning did do you think you started off when you started playing guitar, it, it was with the intent of writing songs, or did you have any intent at all other than playing guitar? Maybe. Uh, and the reason I ask because I feel like some people that kind of start with more like, you know, I call it academic academic decathlon shredding, versus uh, <laughs> picking up the guitar to write songs, kind of approach things a little bit differently. Yeah, the 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 um, like the fast playing stuff never really it just it never grabbed me. So uh, I never, I never want, uh, like, I, I never desired to really go down that path. Um, I, I didn't know what path I wanted to go down in the, in the first few days I was playing guitar. I was just doing it to see what would happen and if I would like it at all. Yeah. But what I did notice pretty quickly, maybe in the first, like, uh, you know, three, third, fourth or fifth week, I really wanted to overdub on top of myself, which is weird. I think <laughs> if, if you can barely play a chord progression. Right. And I was, I, but, you know, I could, I could play a couple chord progressions. And the first thing I'm thinking is I'm going to do another part on top of that. Like right now. <laughs> and to be clear, this is probably before there was any sort of looping technology, like a looping pedal or anything that you could really do that with uh, appreciably. Right. No, the, the the technology of the time for that application was cassette four track. Right. 
and and you record you you record it and then you like just do a new track over that and so on and then eventually the original if you do it too much the original kind of disappears uh, uh underneath it if you, uh, yeah i mean well you too if you do if you do the sort of um what do they call it the mixing down trick where you'd like if you, if you, if you have four mono tracks you fill up three right. you mix those down to the fourth track then you've got three blank tracks again and you kind of keep doing that but what you notice is the very first tracks that you did sound kind of dull compared to the last tracks you did in that in that in that mode of recording, which is kind of cool. It teaches you engineering a little bit, like oh, I might want to brighten this a little bit before we print it back. Yeah, you know, sure. I mean, it it, it was an aesthetic, especially within the '90s, right? You know, that like you know having the sort of yeah, you know, I don't know whether it would be like degradation or, or compression or, or what, it would, what it would be, but there was a certain aesthetic that kind of that that was part of it. And I think back it was super. It was definitely prevalent. part of it for me. I was I was I was heavily involved in four track cassette recording for years. Um, and you know what is interesting is just recently on this album, mm-hmm. we were finishing some drum tracks for this album uh, at Dave Grohl's studio. Uh, studio 606 and i was kind of just perusing some of the back rooms just kind of um, seeing what gadgets might be there and i came upon a four track uh, a cassette four track i think it was actually the eight track version which we also had at the very end there um before we went into the world of adats but and that's when i learned um because one of the assistants walked up and was just noticing that i was staring at this machine and he's like oh yeah that dave made the whole first foo fighters record on that machine oh how funny like that the the one where he like play uh just it's yeah 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 that that, that first one the self-titled one right yeah that's, uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's wild. he played every he played everything or mostly everything yeah but it also had a really kind of kind of weird sound and kind of like not super hi-fi sound to it and I knew that uh, uh, when I first heard it in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So, but I didn't know it was cassette. But I, I kind of thought it was something messed up, maybe eight track reel to reel or like home, home version of that right. kind of. It just had a weird character. And then finding out it was actually eight track audio cassette. Fidelity of an eight track uh, audio cassette. F- each individual track pretty low right right because exactly. they're so thin. <laughs> so thin and i think of that just as almost like you know songwriting aesthetic if you think of something like uh you know i think guided by voices is a good example of this where you can almost like imagine like an arena rock style presentation but it's just oh but you can't quite hear it because that spectrum's cut off so it like lets the imagination fill it in uh, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. an, that's an aesthetic that that I I don't think you can quite you know it's not exactly the same with digital recording uh, for sure and and by, by no means am I an analog fetishist in any way shape or form nor do I know you are uh, and mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want to waste time talking about that when there's so much else to talk about but I mean it's it's the tools it's the technology use use the yeah. tools use the technology right that's that's would you say that's a a Ken aesthetic for recording uh, play with toys and make sound for sure yeah like what analog digital whatever i think it's pretty notable 
that uh, like like the especially you know came to knowledge with with most folks with uh, with failure, but the the sound, the interplay of the sound and how things fit together, like the layering with the, with the songs. It seems like there's so much thought behind it, and there's so much intent behind it. What kind of when you but before you started playing guitar, like what kind of what kind of bands were you listening to? Were you like more of a punk rock guy at first? Were you were into Pink Floyd. Like what were the what were the bands that kind of made you be like, oh, that's interesting. I had I had um, like uh, you know affairs with both of those things. Right. You know, Floyd <laughs> and punk and new wave and um, you know certain hard rock things van halen acdc um yeah i mean all of it basically um but i i would say on this newest record um i think i was really kind of going back to my um long affair with Robert Smith and The Cure. The Cure. It's funny you say that because that's actually something I thought of. And it isn't necessarily because it sounds, it doesn't necessarily have all the, like, the sonic hallmarks of what you might associate. Because what would that mean, right? I mean, it's standing on the beach and, uh, uh, and uh, you know, the mid-period stuff and like the later period. It, it, much like many brilliant bands, there's different eras of it. But it is the way things kind of fit together. It's like, oh, it almost reminds me of like that kind of Cure style thing without explicitly sounding like The Cure, which not a lot of bands can pull off. So kudos for that. Yeah, uh, thanks. So did is there, and again, knowing that you're coming from basically uh, jamming might not be the right word, but you're putting these songs together from, as you said, improv, right? Everyone's like, uh, you got you got players that know exactly how everyone plays, but are very thoughtful and open to trying new things, and you have the ability to record all of it. And, and listen yeah. back to it, right? So how, where do you decide, like, you know, enough's enough? Like, if, if it's something where, hey, that's good where it is, stop, that needs another thing. Like, and, and again, maybe this comes easier for you as a producer and engineer to think that way, again, even with, with, with your own stuff. But are you able to... Are you able to kill the baby if they, if that needs to happen? I guess is the better way to put that. Oh, right? we killed a lot of babies on this record. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things that aren't on this record from the August 2020 sessions. Um, I mean, I the three weeks that we did there, I think it was like 15 or 16 days, ended up being about 36 hours straight of just music like that that's removing all the dead air wow <laughs> so of 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 and strictly in like nothing really lasts longer than a minute or two there's a few times where we explore two parts next to each other or you know alternating between two parts yeah but it's mostly just trying to find like just just weird combinations or just, you know, interesting um, uh, things that just catch our ear. But the thing of it is, is I didn't realize that like improving every day like that for so long was going to be so fatiguing. And so all a kind of depressing, actually. <laughs> how funny. Okay. How, how so? How do you mean? So like just, uh, because like, you're not completing anything. 
I get you. Okay. You, uh, but that was part of the experiment is to not get bogged down in the arranging. Um, and, and, and really to, to, to break the record up into to two uh, sort of creative pieces, the improv and then the editorial slash um, filling out the songs. I mean, so, filling out is a little a little weak of, of a phrase because sometimes we were taking, you know, two bars and spinning that into a whole song. So so really, we only had one part. Um, so it, there was a lot of full on writing and composition happening in the second phase. It's just that we had all these like musical moments, musical nuggets to ref go back and reference and pull from. Yeah. It almost seems like it's panning for gold to a certain degree. Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> exactly. Cause what we ended up doing is taking that 36 hours and whittling it down to about three hours and then we whittled it down to about 25 ideas right yeah 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 yeah. uh interesting so again it seems like all the all the heavy lifting is going to be in the in the listening back and in the editing making those those kind of decisions of like what what justifies you know exploration and retention almost well i mean the, rea the reality is just when you're creating that much raw material, you can basically double whatever time you spent creating it, at least double editing it or figure or exploring it, whatever you want to call. So, um, you know, we, we were there for three weeks straight to actually ended up taking close to three months to condense that down to a you know, 20 or 30 piece, um, highlights tape essentially. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you feel it's so, so is, is this a unique way to, for failure to write? Because it's, it's, is a unique sounding record. And especially, I think any record that comes out around now is going to be unique in some fashion or capacity, maybe in ways that we intrinsically don't understand right now. But as far as the creative process for that band, it, was was this a relatively new method of working, or, or is no? This, okay. The the only thing that was new about it is that we did the the improving was like double what we've done before, right? And um, that's basically it. I mean, um, we we had done it on Fantastic Planet, but n the volume was way lower, way smaller, like maybe two four days worth of stuff to go through. Um, and then we did it a little bit on the heart is a monster as well. Right. Uh, but mostly we, we just never said, okay, let's just go in and only do this for three weeks. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, well, it's a commitment, right? I it's, mean, it's a commitment, like kind of like an experiment. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think they're, I think some folks could pull it off and have a great time. And I think some folks, you know, it could be a nightmare and uh, yeah. maybe the same people at different times of that time period, <laughs> you know, depending, depending on how it goes. Like, did you ever feel like you were getting kind of, um, I don't know, like harder darkness about it? Like getting, getting like too yeah. deep with it? 
Or just, yeah, just losing myself in the fatigue of trying to, because essentially you're trying to write something, you're trying to create something on the spot. In real time. Reacting to two other people and what they're doing. Yeah. And it's great. It's awesome. But after about three hours, it's like okay. you get you start getting a little loopy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you- what 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 we kind of found out is that last hour of each day was where the gold was. Interesting. Okay. We could almost all the best stuff that we all agreed was the more interesting stuff was stuff that almost none of us remembered playing. <laughs> Hey, that's pretty good. Who came up with that? That was you. Really? No, seriously. Greg was like, who's playing guitar and who's playing bass? I do not remember. Like, I don't remember anything about this. That's hilarious. So we were getting a little just kind of punch drunk, you know? I would imagine so. Yes. Yeah. But but still recording. That's beautiful. I mean, like that. That's that's such a unique way of creating that, you, you know, it, to a certain degree, I could almost see it be more of a uh, popular thing, like in the '60s or something. Other than the fact that you had tapes, right? Like you, you had only you could play for as long as you had the tape for. So this, yeah, you could, which wasn't that long. Not, not, not long, as long at all. As what we yeah. were doing? No, we were doing hours and hours, multi, full multi track. Yeah, yeah. And and the result of that, having that level of technology at the at these improv sessions, is that a good forty percent of the drums, and probably the guitar as well, are are actually from those improv sessions. That's awesome. So that so it's basically the the structure of the building is there. Right. <laughs> if you're talking it, about in, in in several cases, the bones were so good from those improv sessions that we we had trouble besting them. Right. Essentially. <laughs> yeah, because the thing is, you don't want to do it just to do it, right? You you want to do it if it's going to add something. You want to add. Yeah. If it's going to like make a difference positively, not uh, you know, not take away from it or just do it for the sake of doing it for sure. Uh, that's that's uh, that is that is a wild type droid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what what's you 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 always have such interesting album titles with that band. What what where's that story behind that? One? I'm not sure, because that's a Greg uh, composition there. Gotcha. So I have no answer for you on that. <laughs> okay, that's 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 fine. You don't you don't have to. Except I like it. Uh, it's good. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it it catches the attention, and uh, you know, it's it, there's a beginning, middle, and end. And uh, there's there's something to be said for all that. Uh, I think that that's there's there's a lot. A name can do a lot, and in some cases, the, a name can do a lot of harm. <laughs> so that. Well, yeah, I did see some posts. People were saying, uh, "You better watch out uh, for Lucasfilm coming after you, or Disney, I guess, because uh, you have the word droid." in the title <laughs> they, come on they don't own the word droid do they really uh, they have sued people for using the word droid shut the front door wow they have yes <laughs> that is well there's a lot we could say about that isn't there but uh, that's that's <laughs> okay well you know sure that's um if that's how you want to use your immense power and uh and money okay mm. 
I'm sure that's protecting the brand somehow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I I wonder just because there's there's so many folks that are so uh, and and I, I do want to talk more about uh, about the new record because of course it comes out. Uh, so the, the best place to get it. Uh, certainly tomorrow at the time of this airing, twelve three would be Bandcamp, right? Because it's Bandcamp Friday, so the artists get the um, get the entire entirety of the of the proceeds. Uh, but I do I do want to talk about the earlier records either, because because I, I I must say like you know I enjoy I enjoy the records, but I don't have a lot of context for like what what was your world like in '92, like when you when you started it with Comfort, like where where were you coming from? Like you mentioned, like you know doing the um, doing the doing the editing stuff and things along those lines, and, and coming from more of like a film background almost, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, so- I was directing hip hip hop music videos. In ninety one really? and ninety, yeah, and signing uh, with failure to Slash Records yeah. at the same time. It was a it was a weird time. <laughs> well, and that's um, that was that's a, that was a crazy that was the gold I call it the gold rush times, right? Because they let the freaks in for a minute, basically. Right then, with MTV and the explosion of hip hop, it was like if you rapped, you got a deal. Pretty much. I mean, so and yeah, because MTV was so um, effective at at selling CDs um, at at that point in time, they wanted music videos for a ton of artists. Yeah. So there were a lot of directors and production companies that were getting swamped with work. And I happened to be around at the right time and the right place. And um, actually one of the directors that I had interned for while I was a junior in college saw one of my videos that I had done that actually was on MTV because of a contest oh, interesting. and they were like, Hey, called me up and was like, Hey, I got something I w- want to do with you. And I thought, Oh, he's going to want me to do craft service again. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what I had done the last time I had seen him. Right. Oh, no, it's something different, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And then I call him. I'm like, hey, what's going on? He's like, hey, can you come in? We want to talk to you about this video. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, direct. You direct the video. Silence. You know, I'm just like. <laughs> right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, be right there. Yeah. Be right there. Yeah. Okay. That That's a that, that's a. Thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that, so, so getting, so having a foot in that world, but then also, you know, you're putting together these kind of, um, you know, droning kind of you know, crazy, like almost, almost like sci-fi soundscapey sounds like in, in the songs that you're making in failure at the time. Was there, did it feel like it was coming from a different world? Like, like being in that or, or did you kind of just look at it like, Oh, it's all just, you know, music. It's all music. I'm making video for this kind of music now, and I make a different kind of music, and everything is cool. Um, no, I mean, I felt like what we were doing was not in the popular vernacular at the time. Yeah. Pretty- I mean, we were playing, like, underground acid parties and stuff in Hollywood and and, and the Al's Bar and just, like, Al's bar, yeah. you know. Just like shitty dive bars, and you got like two hundred bucks or two hundred fifty bucks. If that's if you like sold it out, 
you know. Yeah, yeah if you're <laughs> lucky. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, you might get some beer if no one came. Um, but it was awesome. I mean, if you're in college and you're just doing that on Friday nights and maybe rehearsing like three nights a week or something and occasionally working in music videos, I was having a good time. I was I was just 22. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's, uh, you know, what a time to be doing it too because there, there was a lot of, there was a lot of fantastic music being given a voice around that time too and a lot of mediocre music as well, just like with anything. But it, it seemed like it was a good... It was a good time to play your trade, uh, to, to to put it to put it mildly. I now I remember it, it's it's COVID time is such a weird time, but you remixed that record for the uh, the box set, the uh, comfort we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's let's see, ninety two <laughs> to twenty twenty. I, I think it was recorded in ninety one. Is it ninety one? I okay. think. Yeah. So. That's a that's charitably say that's a pretty long time. That's almost a almost thirty like thirty years, right? So, uh, the co- coming back to that, like, w- have you did did it evoke any times of being there? Did it like evoke yeah. emotions, especially soloing up some of the tracks, yeah, and hearing the room mics and stuff. And there's like. There was a couple headers where you could hear us talking for a second before right. we started and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, to- totally brought me back to that studio, Pachyderm, um, in Cannon Falls, Minnesota. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, a lot, a lot of great, a lot of great records made there. And then, I, I, you know, what, what were you thinking of when you're thinking about the sound of that record? Because that's gonna, you know, it's a very iconic record. Like the the people that are fans of that record, are really big fans. But it also, you know, it's it sounds kind of of its time. Like, do you do you think about it differently in terms of, you know, hey, you don't want to. <laughs> I think like, we already referenced the with the droid thing, Star Wars. So uh, remember George Lucas going back and dicking around with the uh, <laughs> with the original yeah, totally. movies. <laughs> That's exactly what I. That was my exact first thought. Yeah. And and, and how how people. And even myself was, you know, a little concerned about that. But at the same time, you know, I've mixed like, you know, a hundred albums between then. And it's just like the, the the appeal for me was to just make the sound of that record match with the rest of the canon, basically. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And and I didn't think it was going to be much of like an emotional exercise, you know, and it wasn't. It ended up being, a, a, you know, there were there were some nostalgic moments, of course, sure, like yeah. I just mentioned. But it was like. It's basically how I wanted it to sound back then, but I didn't know how to do that. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, it, it, like I. Did you kind of start in with like game face, you know, like, okay, I'm, I'm going in to do the work and this just happens to be a thing. And then like suddenly you're time traveling. Is that sort of <laughs> sort of the, the crux of of what that was uh, like? Or is it just little moments? No, I mean, every song it was just like bringing back memories. And then I queued up uh, just I think when I was mixing Screen Man, I queued up some video footage Mm-hmm. Like high eight, 
Right. VHS. <laughs> wow, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had some camera that shot on that. And there is a really cool uh, shot of me playing the solo yeah. in that. And I queued that up and kind of sunk it up. And I was just like, wow, that was that was fun. That was a fun day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that sounds that sounds like that would have been uh, for sure. And and there's something to be said. For, and it's funny to me that they have filters now, like Instagram filters and things that like emulate the high eight video. The, the high eight <laughs> yeah. video. Yeah, right. It's, it's yeah. Like you have a thing that. The, the world's first computer, like, you know, the ones that fit in the room, it's like, you know, a thousand times more powerful than that. And you're using it to emulate uh, older technology. And there's something to be said there, I guess. I don't know what it is, but it's always kind of makes me laugh. Uh, so, okay. So that's, so that's comfort. And uh, did you, did it strike you? Like, can you still hear it as music? Like it, when you, when you were going back and, and mixing it, like, is it, or is it something where you only were hearing the, the experience? No, I mean, I knew what it was. I've, I've listened yeah. to that record a few times over the years. Um, you know, I mean, especially when we rebooted that, that's when I really noticed it again. Yeah. Cause we wanted to play some songs from there and I hadn't heard it in a while. I put it on. I was like, Whoa, this one sounds really different. Right. <laughs> the rest. <laughs> and sure. And then it also happened that we got access to those tapes. Right. So it, w it wasn't something that I was like always wanted to do and it finally happened. It, it was more like the opportunity presented itself. I, I took a swipe at it and I, I liked, I, I maybe did one or two songs and just showed the band and they were like, this sounds awesome. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why, why, why wouldn't you? Uh, and, and that's, Okay, so that's uh, and that box set. It was it was the first three, right? It was a uh, comfort and magnified and fantastic planet, all kind of packaged together, right? Correct. Uh, so with an oddities disc, as yeah, well. with the I, or rarities, the, the, or the, the yeah, I was gonna say odds and sods, but <laughs> it it all amounts to the same, right? Uh, yeah. So. Now magnified, so that's that's a, a, a couple years later, and um, you know Roberts he leaves during the recording, right? And um, is that oh, right? he left right before, before we recording? started the okay. recording for magnified. Yeah, uh, you know, and there's a lot of really cool things on that record. Um, you know, uh, there's some like really cool like bass driven stuff, harmonics. Lots of, like I think of that as a as a key like a key um, usage of harmonics like that and like big black and things <laughs> things along mm -hmm. those lines as as a uh, as a songwriting tool and like uh, ability to like for hooks. So as a band, you know, on, on that second record, you're kind of hitting a little harder, um, trying trying to dig like a little bit deeper. What I mean, slash was supportive of a failure at the time? Uh, was it something where they were just like, everyone was kind of waiting for the next Nirvana. I remember. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Cause that all happened right after they signed us. Yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, it, it was about to happen and then it did happen. And so it was, they were in the thick of their success with Nevermind when we were recording with Steve in Cannon Falls. Yeah. And in fact, they were calling Steve while we were there. 
and he told us that. Oh wow! How because funny. they were already thinking of working with him for what would become in utero. In utero yeah, and they did in that very same studio. That's gonna say I was gonna mention it earlier, but not every reference to that has to be a Nirvana reference. But it it, it does loom large on my mind. So I love that. Reference. Oh yeah, totally. Because that, <laughs> I mean, that room has such a sound. When I was listening to those. Uh, the comfort multi tracks. I was like, it's totally the in utero drum sound too. Yeah, I mean, it's you got know? it's got that iconic sound that, um, <laughs> without saying anything like it, I think of the uh, uh, was it Deep Purple that set up in the castle? <laughs> I'm trying to or is that Zeppelin? I'm trying I'm trying to remember. Uh, but well, I know you too did it for Unforgettable Fire. Th- yeah, indeed. It, but not that it has a castle sound, but just has a sound. You're like, oh, I know that's that's. Once you know recording, you can kind of you can play spot that drum sound, right? Uh, yeah, it's a cool room. It had huge picture windows, like eight by eight windows that looked right out into the woods. And so, when you worked there during the day, you didn't feel like you were cooped up in like uh, a cave, like yeah. most studios. Well, and there's some there's something that it changes the vibe, right? When you're not around your familiar environment and your familiar distractions and responsibilities and you're just you're at a place and you're recording. The best thing about having so many windows in a studio is that your body tracks the time of day. Oh wow, interesting. Yeah, that's a good point because you're going to That's the, the problem with the studios is yeah. you go in and in the morning and you do come out until it's night and so your body doesn't get to experience sunset and the darkening of the sky and it screws up your sleep yeah and you end up like your circadian rhythms end up being on like recording time you know starting starting at noon and going till like two or something you know like (laughs) yeah you get into that loop of you know never getting enough sleep and you move into this sort of like studio zombie mode yeah, and that's interesting. So yeah, having the natural light and everything is gonna, you know, that's gonna inform it. That's gonna, it's gonna hit a little different. And that's interesting. I actually, ne- I have never thought about that. That's pretty funny. It's, it's it was really different because you see the light changing like all yeah. day. It's just, it's just that's informing, you know, because when it does get dark, it's like okay, yeah, it's dark now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Most studios don't have windows. Yeah, yeah, no, they it's just true. Don't. It's true. That's that that is that is very notable. Yeah. Uh, so this, uh, you know, again, go. So going back to going back to just to, to the songs on Magnified, like it kind of seems like there was like a, you know, it's a little more. A little more poppy, you know, right? There, there was, you're, you're trying not to- A lot more things. melodic, yeah. a lot more, you know, this, this, this is the beginning of the shift of it being more of my songwriting right. to more of the duo of me and Greg writing everything together. Right. Yeah, sure. Because, because it's, it's, it, it seems like you're kind of like locking into, onto a thing that, uh, you are- exploring and it's it's hitting a little deeper right and at that point you've you've been playing together for a while at this point so you you get yeah but we haven't here's the thing that happened on magnified is that i kind of discovered how deep greg's talent really was i was just like 
I hadn't had time to really appreciate it because we were working on the early songs that I had kind of come up with to kind of um, get the ball rolling, you know, yeah. and and ha have like a 30 minute set of music that we could play live. Um, but after we made that first record and we started actually working on the on writing songs, it was like, whoa. This guy's an awesome guitar player. <laughs> You're like, oh, this guy's got to this. This kid's like, going someplace. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I'd seen him play guitar a little bit before that, but it was like, whoa, okay, so that's cool. Yeah, and, and that's they... that's when the switching really started, basically, switching instruments. Yeah, and and and, and so, and it seems all it all seems very deliberate on that record too. Like, it all seems like. Um focused not not that it didn't before but it, considering like what came afterwards it like it's it, it's like i for, i actually did not hear that record when i came out i heard fantastic planet and then i heard that one and then i was like oh this makes more sense and to me it was sort of like weirdly i did the same thing with radiohead i never heard i didn't hear the bends until after i heard okay computer and i was like oh okay this, I, this makes i more think sense. a lot of people Okay, you're not alone on that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I remember, like, oh, is that that band with that one song? Oh, uh, yeah, whatever, it's fine. And then it's like, wait, is this a different band? Is this the same guys? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, okay, so so then that, that keys up Fantastic Planet. I actually had the rare, I don't know if it's going to say privilege, of working at a record store when that came out. And for mm. a, for a certain type of music fan, that was a big deal of a record. Uh, that said, you know, it, it as far as its influence and how it's talked about now, I don't know if that really got over commercially necessarily, but I think its legacy seems cemented in history as, you know, one of one of it, a, a pretty great record. So I mean, how how was? Can you tell me a little bit about that record and just? Well, Talk great record that sold like a hundred thousand copies when it came out. <laughs> well, it's okay for you to say it. I didn't. I didn't want to. Yeah. You didn't no, that's that's. I was just you know summarizing your your summary basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a much more succinct way of putting it. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we didn't break. We never we we've never really broken big. What we have is a, a some kind of fan base that's really loyal. Yeah. And really, um, I don't know, interested. They come to the shows. We interact with them. I don't know. It's just, a, it's a cool vibe. So did... it, it kind of operates outside of what I, what I, I mean, kind of work in, in my day job. Yeah. The regular label industry. Yeah. And that, and that's, oh, okay, so how so? How do you mean? So can you speak a little more to that? Well, because we're not on a label and we don't oh, have sure. a team of managers and A&R people and stuff um, guiding the process. It's just us and, and, and our fans. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's it. But, but these days there are things like Bandcamp that allow the artist-fan relationship to be you know, closer than ever but also kind of deny maybe more larger opportunities at widespread uh, connection with the world at large because of just the yeah. sheer volume of everything, right? Like good, good bad, and, and indifferent <laughs> and, and mediocre. I know. There's a lot of people I really respect 
are calling for artists to not put their music on Spotify. I saw and, some of that today. Yeah. And, and we're on Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just, but I, I mean, I'm 100% ambivalent about being on Spotify. I have argued against it in band meetings many, many times, but ultimately I agreed. Um, it's a really, it, it's, there's no good choice. Yeah. There's no good choice. You know, it's, it's people listening. People are going to hear your music more if you're on Spotify, period. Which is the way it is. More people will hear your music. It's, it's almost, uh, I don't know if you're a Star Trek fan or not, but, uh, there's that concept, the Kobayashi Maru, like this test where basically you, the, the, the key to it is that there's no way to win. So you just had to figure out how not to lose. <laughs> no, or how to die. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How, like how, what's the best way? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Then, to go out. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Which I think yeah. is amazing. And I, I, I maybe overutilize that term when it comes to music, uh, for what I can only assume is obvious reasons these days, but yeah. Like yeah. what do you do? You're writing a manifesto in the woods if you're not on it. You know, because it's that's what people are using for music now. And it was something else before. Maybe it'll be something different in, in five years. OK, fine. But if you look, I think if you look at it like, well, that's that's what used to be the where radio was. Maybe then they, then it doesn't like hurt, hurt so much. That said, I mean, there is it, it is nice that there are services like Bandcamp, you know, that can can kind of make an event out of a, hey, this is the day that we're going to buy music, everybody. And, uh, you know, I think that's nice. There's something to be said for that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm re really excited about being on Bandcamp right now. So just if, if you may, I'm going to get murderized if I don't talk a little bit about Fantastic Planet to you. Because uh, mm -hmm. that, that is, <laughs> and I'm sure you've talked about it a million times and maybe it's not the most interesting. But if, I, I think there, there's such a key toward, the, the ear towards like atmospherics. And that's also when the, the, um, the segues right? The, the different segues kind of came in, which kind of became like a failure uh, hallmark. We had them on this on Magnify. We had them on Magnify. But, but, but we, they got better Yeah. on Fantastic Planet and, and maybe a li little bit more of them. Yeah. And so that record, uh, how long, how long did it take you for, for that one to make? Was that, was that a long pro recording process? Well, Fantastic Planet was like, instead of like doing the improv and then going in the studio and putting it all together, we moved into a house, we rented a house, bought a bunch of equipment and moved, lived in it together, all three of us in this little house and uh, just made music every day. Um, and and so it with if you include the fact that we had no songs when we moved in, to the house we moved we finished the record um i believe it was five and a half months later so that includes of the writing arranging the whole performing regular, mixing yeah. everything god and that and that's so immersive and it's interesting because the main themes seem to be you know uh involving isolation whether it's like the mm -hmm. you know com the comfort of it or the discomfort therein so it's it's interesting that uh, to be in such an immersive experience for that um you know along with 
the natural outer space and science fiction imagery and, and so on and so on. Uh, do you do you find that? Uh, and again, to me, that's that's one of the records that the legend has only grown. Like I think of you know, leaves turn inside you by Unwound is like another one, right? Where, where people just find it every year and they kind of get lost in it and they they get they get, they get psyched about it. Uh, meanwhile, like you're making music and you're still doing doing other things, and people keep coming back to this record. Is it? I mean, is it something where? Was that surprising? Did you kind of have an idea that you were making something really special at the time? Was it just another day at the office or house, <laughs> so to speak? Like, uh, No, it definitely wasn't another day at the office. It, it was, I mean, we were there for a while. And I remember it being pretty dramatic when it was yeah. happening. Like yeah. there was a lot of um, arguing. There was a lot of high points where we feel like we had, really nailed something or achieved something we hadn't before there was a lot of um substance abuse i mean there was like everything under the sun happened why we made that record there yeah and that i mean it's sort of like it runs the gamut right like it's got it's it's got all the things uh, well i I just wonder because we've never really camped out together Except when we're on tour, but we're not really riding on tour. Right. When you're shoved in the bus together for a long time. But we've never really lived with each other since uh, Fantastic Planet in terms of the the writing, like uh, the writing bubble, I guess. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea with that was that, like, uh, you would kind of get it together like record and produce a song and then kind of move on to like the next piece of it and sort of almost like assembly line it right process yeah which is very very unorthodox way especially then i mean then it was very regimented like you had songwriting with the bands then when they had enough songs you would go into pre-production with a producer which was a rehearsal space usually and you might have like a cassette recorder uh, and you'd really fine tune some arrangements. Then you'd go into the studio and the idea is you're so rehearsed that you can get in and get out quickly yeah, yeah, absolutely. to save yeah. money. <laughs> and our whole idea was to completely abandon that model and, and turn the studio into like a, a you know, creative, um, home or or a creative space basically where you just live there and until it was done artistically done yeah and that's i mean you're basically at like song camp (laughs) to a certain degree right because you're 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 immersed in it it's it's all around you all the time yeah and uh, you know there's something about that this kind of living it every day where you're just like i think i think it pushes you to try um experiment more and um get weird with recording techniques and you know because the 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 truth was is that the per day cost was so low because we had bought the equipment ahead of time that it you know we could we could afford to stay there basically um (laughs) right (laughs) yeah exactly because you don't have the overhead for you know paying on the day by day of a studio or something you just you have the stuff well the a proper studio at the time was going for two thousand twenty two hundred a day 
we, we were paying less in rent for that house per month. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> so, and we li could live there, which, by the way, was a big deal for us back then because we, we were all basically homeless. I was going to say you probably didn't have anywhere else to be, right? Because I, you're, you're... <laughs> I, so much of my 20s in L.A., I didn't have an apartment at all. Yeah. Yeah, and and I mean, do you think that informed, you know, the 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 writing process, like you know, that kind of like spatial disassociation and feeling like unmoored from what most people consider reality in day to day life? Yes, exactly. It's kind of like those improvs we did in August uh, August twenty twenty. Um, you get to the point where you're so fatigued that it's like something kind of unlocks. Yeah. And it just pours out, you know, it's just like you've been basically kind of holding it back or something emotionally or something. And then you're just uh, you give up. And and I, I remember Greg saying something or, or referencing um, something that Stanley Kubrick said about working with actors in front of the camera and doing multiple takes. And he was, he said something to the effect of usually there might be some good things in the first three takes. Then after that, you have to go for a long time, but, but basically before the, you break the actor down. Right. <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> and they just give up essentially. <laughs> and they start doing weird stuff and unexpected stuff. And then you get to the really good stuff is what his his theory was As so because he stuff. was notorious for doing 30 or 40, 50 takes. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Shelley Duvall maybe got the, uh, <laughs> the, the maybe the worst of that treatment during The Shining and it led to, you know, it's a great movie, but was it very fun for her to do? Mm, I don't know. Maybe mm, not. I don't no, know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's a great film. I mean, you know, yeah. it's hard to argue with that. <laughs> Uh, so just back, back to, uh, fantastic planet was the idea, you know, so, so it feels like you're in like a, like a, like a, uh, cyclical environment making this record, you know, uh, you know, writing the songs and recording them and kind of moving to the next one. I, I think it's interesting. It's interesting to me that there's that, that the chiming sound at the end of a uh, daylight that, that also starts Saturday savior. Right. So yes. yeah. <laughs> was that, where did that come into play of, of that? Was that just like a, Hey, this would be fun to do. Or did you have that idea like thematically early on? We had the idea for, to expand on segues. Yeah. Early on. Like we had done them on the prior record, but they didn't, you know, they just weren't that great. They were just more like sketches mm -hmm. and, we we decided we wanted to have instrumental pieces on Fantastic Planet. So we were working on those in the middle of the songs as well. I'm not sure. I think, though, the, the music box um, came in towards the end when we were th really starting to think about the sequence. We already had a, a lot of the segues recorded. We had a lot of the songs recorded. We were finishing up things. And now we're starting to think like, how? what are we going to do with all this? My or, original thought was that 
it was going to be nowhere near as long as it is. I thought we were going to leave off four or five of those songs and have a more succinct, you know, 40 minute record. <laughs> not at all. Uh, as it turns and out. that's <laughs> not what happened because Greg came in with a sequence and he was just like, this is it. <laughs> you know, yeah, just that yeah, yeah. cocky, um, th like, I know this is good because I heard it and I queued it up and sort of assembled it on the tapes. And it was like, yeah, this, this is good. This is really good. Yeah. It's, and when it's almost, you know, it's almost a buy the ticket, take the ride situation, right? <laughs> it's, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, speak, you know, it's talking of Kubrick, you know, 2001 starts very differently than it ends. <laughs> yeah. And you go on a ride for the whole thing. I think, you know, the record really reflects that those five or six months that we were there yeah. also, even though the, the songs don't appear don't always appear in the order that we recorded them. Um, there's still, it's like you can hear the journey we went on. I, I can, yeah. you know, it's like there's, and that's why it, I think it almost feels like there's movements in the sequence. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, and, and it's, it's actually, I think a very apt named record cause it, it feels like a journey to a place. Right. So there's and there's these like soundtrack style movements where it's sort of like, oh, what is this? What movie is this from? And it's like, no, this, mm -hmm. is, this is not from a movie. This is part of this record. Like, oh, OK, cool. And I think that's attempted by a lot of different bands. But I think I think that record that record did what it was meant to do. And, you know, despite only selling, what, 100,000 at the time. Like it's it means a lot to people like now and even like an entire new generation of people have like discover that record you know some of them through the the much uh discussed spotify <laughs> mm -hmm. but yeah. but they're listening they're listening to music right and it, mm -hmm. that's uh you know I, I i'm never gonna be mad about that like how, how would you ever be mad about that pretty hard to be mad about that <laughs> so then uh so so after fantastic planet uh when, when does stuff kind of start to, to break down is it already kind of like coming apart then or yeah it's you know to me it's really it had probably already started yeah. but the thing that put it over the edge is, is when we actually finished fantastic planet and we were booking a map i was calling our manager to book the, the ma a mastering date because right. they had called me the week before and said hey let's book the mastering date next week okay so i'm calling him and the man, manager gets on the phone and he's like, hey, I got some bad news. I go, what? He's like, you don't really have a label to turn this album into. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, Ooh. yeah, another long, long pause. <laughs> right? Yeah, very different from the other one earlier on, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very different. But, um, yeah, it was, it, you know, they were they were trying to sell slash the two owners um and they basically put everyone's uh you know release schedule on hold by doing that man and it's not that it's a unique story but it's just it's god it's just it's just such a bummer like even secondhand it's such it's so devastating to I mean, what, what can you think of anything else that would like take the wind out of the sails quicker than hey we made this great thing and 
Oh, and yeah, there's no it, it place took, for it. It took an emotional <laughs> toll for sure. Because yeah, you are you when you're about to deliver something that you feel is like you put everything into it, you know, like and then to have it sit. It sat for a year and a half in limbo. <sighs> Yeah, and you're sitting here like, hey, we made our dark side of the moon. We made our in utero. And then it's like, oh, uh, okay. Well, huh. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe you did. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, right, you know, like, it's just, it, who knows? It's sitting on it's a shelf. Sitting on a shelf, and it's it's now more of a concept and an idea than anything else. But then, but then, if it, so it does get to the world at large eventually, though. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it doesn't. It doesn't do numbers the way that, that it maybe could have, but also things were starting to change around that. I mean, that was like 96, right? So that's sort of like... I mean, if you do 100,000... That'd be amazing In today. physical sales right now, Are you, you would me? be... That, yeah, yeah, you'd be doing really good. Yeah. Like but back then, the the almost baseline right around that time was gold. Right, yeah. yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> like, it, it, bands were selling 100,000... And more, and not getting picked up for, <laughs> after that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we we actually were we were asked by Warner Brothers to make a fourth record, but we broke up before we could do that. It it, it is amazing to think of, and I'm certainly not going to mention any names, but like the bands that had like gold records during that time period was like really, and 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 you know mm-hmm. it was just easy. It just hey, you had to buy it. You had to buy it if you wanted Buying to Buying CDs was, man, it, it, wow, what a money train that was. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so after after failure packs it in, the, you know, the legend kind of grows for a while sustainably. Nerds, charitably, I count myself amongst those, so I don't use that as an admonishment, uh, are, are, getting, are into the band, you know, find the record, connect with it. Meanwhile, you're... You've moved on to other things. You're doing other things. You're a human being. You are are uh, a creative person. You're you know you're recording bands. Um, I mean, I just I remember you did that uh, when you worked with Creeper Lagoon. I remember that specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm from the Bay Area uh, originally, and I mean, did you feel <laughs> after failure? Kind of, kind of, you know, after after the the gas ran out of the car, so to speak. Did you think that like okay, well, I never want to do it at that at that level really again? Or did you have any sort of fatalistic ideas about music? Uh, or is it just sort of like well, lick my wounds and figure out what's next? Uh, no, I I got back into being an artist pr- pretty quickly after uh, failure broke up in '97. I mean. I started demoing songs for what would become the on record maybe six months after we broke up. Just kind of like I I was just kind of a zombie there for a few months. Right. Um and some of my friends were calling me and saying, Hey, let's do a band. And so I was also considering that because yeah. there were some other pretty cool musicians who were like wanting to join forces. So, no, I, I got back into the artist thing because I was into it. Um, and, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say other than, like, my story with the record label world as an artist 
myself has been kind of, you know, not so good. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, plenty of artists that I've worked for or with, um, haven't had that same experience. So I'm not trying to, you know, say it's a, that's the only way things happen, but that's, that's, it's the way it broke down for me. Yeah. So, so I had these troughs in my, I've had these troughs in my artist career where I'm like, I, I swear it off basically. I'm right. like, <laughs> I don't want to do that shit anymore. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. like what it's like. You're basically, you're in a glutton for punishment. Um, why not just work for other bands and get to do what you like to do? Yeah. which is make music in the studio or mix music in the studio. This That's what I really do like to do the most in general. Um, so I, the, I'd do that for a couple of years and then I'd be like writing a song. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'd find myself writing a damn song again. Yeah. And then it's like friends like, hey, let's do a band. Let's do a rock band. And then it, all of a sudden, you're the rabbit happens. And yeah, yeah, with Tim Dow and uh, uh, Jeff from National Skyline, right? And and right, yeah. And and that's, you know, I mean that that on record's cool. It's like you know, definitely coming from more electronic aspect of things. But it's you know, it's not like you forget how to make music just because you've been had your dick kicked in the dirt, right? <laughs> it's no. <laughs> it's been like this, yeah, almost like this unwilling but can't say no you know, kind of thing for me where, where I'm like, really, really? Can't you just play this by yourself? <laughs> like just <laughs> don't record it. Just don't. <laughs> just, 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 just once more into the breach. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, but that's what makes the failure reboot so different is that we right. just didn't really consider I mean, we had some offers, but we were just like, how could this ever make sense? You know, it was so much more fun doing it this way. And it, uh, it's, it's been a completely, completely different experience for me as an artist to do it this way. It's so much more re rewarding, basically. Yeah, because that was, so that was, what, 2013, right? And so that's... 14, yeah. 2014, okay. So it's... You're coming at it from a different place in your life, you know. Uh, the 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 records have had their time in the world. The records have not been the stopped being the records, and uh, you know people have a relationship to them. So it almost seemed like as a thing, like, hey, you know, let's do this if we can do it right. And then you know the fans that maybe never got a chance to see it, didn't know about it, uh, you know, whatever, uh, they they now can do this and we can just do something cool. Like it seemed like it was done from the love of the game for lack of a better term is from the outside perspective. The, 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 well, I, I've said this a couple of times in, in the press, but I don't think a lot of people really know this is that when Greg and I sort of rekindled our friendship in like 2008, um, we, we had, as we evolved into talking about, working together musically one of the things we said well was if we're going to do failure i don't just want to do a comeback tour yeah 
a reenactment or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to do, if we're going to do it, I want to come back with new music and do it, like, just pick up like we never left off, basically. And, 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 um, so, okay, well, if that's your idea, then we better see if we still have uh, the capability of writing together yeah. <laughs> and writing music that we like, that we both like. And so we actually spent a few weeks, I'm not sure how long it was, but we wrote maybe two or three of the songs that ended up on The Heart is a Monster before we actually booked that El Rey show. Interesting. And was it was it kind of an instantaneous everything clicking back in place or was there sort of a feeling out period of like, oh, I don't know. Like what how how quick did it come together? Um there was a little bit of a hiccup at the beginning mm -hmm. because both he and I had really gone in a bunch of different musical directions since ninety seven. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And our kind of like musical, um, how would you say, our musical bearings where we were at the time was not that failure-esque in a way where we each were, you know, like, right. um, sort of, but not, not exactly. So what ended up happening in the first few jams or, or not really jams, but more like collaborations in my studio um was didn't sound very failure it sounded more electronic it sounded more experimental electronic actually and it was cool and i liked it and i for a second i thought oh this is going to be like a new thing right right you know? <laughs> yeah it doesn't have but, to be saddled with the name in the history necessarily exactly right? yeah. it it was different enough to where it would have been weird i i thought if if we would have kept the same name and you know we kept go, we went down that path a little bit longer, and then it was like it it just fizzled, kind of fizzled out naturally. And you know I started coming up with some riffs that were a little bit more in line with the the failure ethos, whatever that is. Yeah. And then we got a couple songs going um, that did end up on the heart of the monster and we finished them We're very close to being finished um and i i think for us it meant that we could uh it was like like flexing a muscle you know yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's like okay we could still do this together we knew we could do stuff apart because we were already doing that. He was doing Autolux and I yeah. was doing solo records and producing people and whatnot. And, but we still kind of had that thing when it came to the, you know, riffing together. Yeah. Something, something special happening, something that's, uh, you know, greater than the sum of its constituent parts almost. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and good on you for recognizing that too. You know, I think, it's... Yeah, I felt more comfortable about doing a show at that point because I knew, well, if we, if we wanted to go through with it and come back and make new music, it, it, the music won't suck. 
Right. You know, <laughs> which which should and, be something a lot more people think about, frankly. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was super important to me. Like, I did not want to be the butt of a joke, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's especially because we felt like, I, and Greg too, we kind of went out on a creative high note in '97. We didn't really, really we were plan to break up then or anything like that. But like, when it did end, it was a you know a good place creatively speaking. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And that's man, it's it's hard to motivate to put a capstone on it when you already are in a place where it it ended just fine. Like we ended on our best work and you have you have that potentially haunting you in your head of like, well, is this as good as that or whatever and like, you know, competing with yourself to a certain degree. Uh I mean, did you find it easy to let that stuff kind of go or is that just you know, cause just, I mean, time helps with that. I know. <laughs> so. I think I went kind of, it, it ebbed and flowed for me. Cause right. that was also like a five, six month effort making that record, the hardest monster. And, um, yeah, there were definitely moments of high insecurity, um, where we were deep in and I was just like, what? Well, this sucks. Like <laughs> I, I, I want to go home right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you get again. You know, that's the problem with doing that heart of darkness t- style journey, right? You you lose you lose perspective and the the the, the mind. And that studio had no windows. Yeah, that place was. I mean, it was it, it was convenient, and it sounded good. But man, you really lost touch with reality or time when you were in there yeah yeah even when you got went out into the hallway there was no windows <laughs> it's like, just, it's, it was like yeah it's it like was, a bunker wow. bunker living it was a bunker <laughs> also the walls and the ceiling were two feet th- thick of concrete man really bunker was style where, then okay <laughs> yeah it was made in the 70s by warner brothers for fully recording no kidding wow yes okay so there's like a foley pit there was a foley pit there yeah, where yeah. they could put water and it had a drain and stuff <laughs> and clomp, so, but clomp the boots on the stairs you know clomp, yeah clomp, 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 clomp. but you, you have to that, that stuff has to be super quiet mm-hmm. yeah. super quiet because sometimes you have to turn up the mics to get the little quiet sounds they're trying to make you know chewing celery or something <laughs> and that studio was right in the takeoff path of burbank airport wow but <laughs> you wouldn't know, you wouldn't know it, it when you were in this building it was crazy yeah i guess you got to invest a little in soundproofing if you're going to be set up shot by by uh the airport although Bur- as as far as airports go burbank is uh you know it's it's in a you know a mall <laughs> right you go it's it's pretty chill for an airport which is not saying much but you know it's it's like LAX would definitely be more uh i mean that's just like yeah they can't land 747s in Burbank yeah exactly it's a smaller airport to give to give context yeah. for the listener and, and the viewers it's a it's a, it's a smaller airport uh so then okay so hard as a monster troy who we haven't mentioned yet uh he contributes a couple of the tracks he ends up playing playing on the shows Troy's a busy guy though was it was there ever like when do you get the point when do you get to the point of hey is Troy gonna be involved with this or not or uh, you know yeah I mean that was pretty that question was answered pretty early on 
no. Okay. You know, because he was <laughs> he, he was in a band that was touring all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. Troy was doing you know? okay. Yeah. He's yeah. Busy. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was more like, can you carve out some time for us? Yeah. Because he got a two-day period he, in this nine-month window that I can do something. Oh, okay. Well, that's not gonna you know that's not gonna be enough or something. Yeah. 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 Uh, basically, yeah. He did one tour, and uh, played on some songs. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, and it is. It isn't. It's fascinating to me that like the uh, you know the failure, <laughs> the failure cinematic universe. There's so many tendrils that spread out to so many interesting bands, none of which really sound like each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all, all the different. I think that's probably one of the most unique things about the band's legacy is that it, it's almost the uh, the the playing or the style or the feel is recognizable, but it comes off in completely different ways uh, with the different outfits. It's pretty interesting, and I think that's a you know that that's a as good of a musical musical legacy as the records itself to a certain degree that like it's it's recognizable in its way if you know where to look for the for that and i think that comes across differently of course for the different players but it is notable at least to me it is yeah uh agreed <laughs> yeah there's the, that was more just the commentary than 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 a question really totally so look we we've, we've um we haven't talked. We talked at the beginning about the new record. I, I want people to. I want people to pick that up for sure. Uh, everyone should should pick that up, uh, specifically on Bandcamp. But uh, I want to talk about the the solo record last year too. Uh, I, I want to be mindful of your time as well. But I want. I think that's an interesting record, and I think it would be disingenuous not to to talk about that. Um, I noticed that uh, you know, the video. <laughs> the video is great. <laughs> I got a kick out of that video one. with <laughs> yeah. David. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, did. Did you have an idea in mind for that record, like uh, conceptually? Or was that just a writing songs uh, and like, oh, I wrote enough songs. I like these. Let's make this a record. I wrote that stuff before, just before we went into the studio in August 2020. Gotcha. So, I at that point I was kind of just chomping to start working. Mm-hmm. But it for everyone, it it wasn't gonna work out to do the the August thing until August. So I just got busy doing. I, I didn't even know if I was just gonna do like two song, one or two songs, just do like a single or whatever. But it, in the end, the EP thing kind of felt right, and then just kind of with the election coming and everything, it was like, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I strange situations make people do strange things or or unusual things. And I, when I was writing that song, it was the only time I've ever written a song where I saw the video as I was writing the song. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was just like, it was a video song to me in a way. Like I couldn't separate the two in my head. And as I just called my friend David, and I was like, "Look, have you ever?" worn the prosthetic makeup stuff <laughs> and he's like a little bit for like wounds and stuff why what, what are you talking about right. <laughs> and uh then i sent him some photos about what i was talking about and he was like i see okay <laughs> okay let's do this and like we pulled that together in a week it, it was crazy really um, wow okay so that because it's 
I mean, it's got a very different feel. Uh, you know, like it, it's uh, it, it's not like you know, not that it's like you know, ska songs or something along those lines. You know, it's, it's definitely uh, it, it, it's got the the moodiness that w- that one would expect a certain degree if moodiness could be uh, applied uh, to music. But it, it's just interesting. It seems very free, almost like just you know, like, Hey, we're doing a thing. And this is, this is the thing. And here's the, and it's funny. You mentioned the video came early on because the video does seem kind of inextricably linked to the record to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did I you... don't know. It, it, that, that, that EP and that video, it just, it just, uh, it's a three month period basically for me, you right. know, where it, and it expresses everything that I was kind of feeling at the time. It does seem it, was, it wasn't very planned out. I didn't get, hey, it's time to make a new Ken Andrews solo record. It was <laughs> like I had some downtime in between mixed gigs, and I just really felt like writing it and, and saying something. And I just, you know, I didn't overthink it too much. I just kind of did it. It is crazy to think about that time period in history, which it now is in history, and like how, just how on the brink everything felt on a day-to-day basis. And not that it doesn't, not that everything's like relaxed now, don't get me wrong, we got entirely new problems, but uh, that was very crazy, crazy time. Uh, and I, I don't know, it, it, it's been interesting to hear the art that, that comes out of it, but I think I think it's a good EP. Uh, so, so let's talk about Wild Type Drive. I want to be mindful of your time. I, I kind of do this thing sometimes where I just go through each of the songs and uh, have someone tell me a little bit about it, whether it's like, you know, lyrics, arrangements, um, song title, where it came from, you know, wh- where it fits in, just any kind of remembrance of, of anything. I kind of try to do it with uh, new albums especially because I think it can be interesting ways for pathways for people to get into it. So are you, are you interested in doing that? Is that is that okay? Sure. All right. So Wild Type Droid. We start off with... Water with hands. Water. It's funny. Water with hands was, I think, second to last of song that we did. I mean, it was pulled from the jams. Uh, the drums are all Kelly from the improvs, and I think it's one of those things where, when Greg and I heard it, we were kind of like, "It's it's very different for us. It's so polyrhythmic, and yeah. um, like the." it has a different feeling to it. It, it. It's neither dark nor light. It's kind of like in this interesting nether wor- world. It's almost like a question mark in a way, mood wise for, for me. Um, and I don't know how to comment on the lyrics. These lyrics are mostly Greg's. Um, and, but it, but importantly, he also wrote the vocal melody in the mm. in the verses yeah. for this song and i remember working on that song here right right here in my studio and i said i went to go pick up some lunch for us right and there was nothing there were no vocals in the verse when i left and when i came back I heard something as I was opening the door and coming into the kitchen and I was like, came into the studio and I was like, play that. Is that the verse? Is, did you just do that? He's like, yeah. And he played it. And I was just like, my eyes got big. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, that is so unique. Like his, 
melodic choices there and rhythmic choices there are really I didn't see that one coming and I really liked it and I just, I just thought it was this really strong opener for it's sort of planting a flag like for failure people this is going to be kind of a different thing right 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 yeah it, it, it's got a different yeah, a very different sort of opener, <laughs> different kind of opener than than maybe one would expect, but uh, strong nonetheless. Uh, and then you then next up is headstand. I almost w- wanted those to be flipped, um, but Greg stood his ground on that one, and I was like, mm, "Yeah, you're probably right." Um, but that's headstand is right now probably my favorite song um that one is just so interesting to me how that came about that the main musical idea is directly from the improvs in fact all of the drums and all of the guitar which is a baritone guitar um are from the improvs um arranged in you know through editing we didn't have that exact arrangement. It was more of like a series of moments kind of that lasted maybe like eight or nine minutes. Sure. And so I just kind of went in and grabbed some the good bits basically and tried to create an arrangement with it. And it's just a really weird way to work where when you're improving this stuff, you don't really know what what's happening. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, <laughs> that's why it's improv. <laughs> that's why it's improv. But even as it goes by, you're kind of like, uh, you're on to the next thing. Like you have no time to appreciate, or judge, or editorialize. So, you're we put all of that into a later period, and so that that song in particular really is emblematic of that process. Yeah. Where he, we we had no idea what we were doing when the tracks were actually recorded, but through kind of um, you know talking about what the arrangement could be and moving a few things around, re- redoing the bass, still the same notes as from the improv, played better, <laughs> more right. in, yeah, more yeah. in time, <laughs> and not for the first time at that moment. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. But it's just amazing to me because I would say, yes, you know, 40, 40% of the drums, probably the same of the guitar are from in those early sessions. That, that is, that is pretty incredible. And it's, it's, it's a very, very interesting way to work, but yeah, it's nice that you're, it's nice that you have the ability and the interest in like sifting through things to find that gold though. I mean, like it's, uh, I can I can imagine being in a situation where, hey, we recorded all this stuff. Never will have the chance to listen to it or have it become anything other than a thing we did. You know, that's uh, there's something to be said there. It's an interesting way to work. It's almost like a collage method to a certain degree, it seems, but it doesn't sound like a collage. Yeah, well, in the in the end, I mean, maybe we would have gotten to the same place if we had done it more um in a standard method i i don't know it's hard to say i i don't think so though i i i'm i don't like to repeat the methodology exactly from album to album 
I think it's stifling and 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 creates boredom, and and me that leads to mediocrity usually. Um, okay. So I'm I'm really into mixing it up. Yeah, and yeah. Not not do, doing especially especially don't do what you just did on the previous record. Right. No, I can tell. I mean, it it, it comes through. <laughs> it comes through. Uh, Lifetime of Joy is after that one. That is a straight lift. Everything is from the improvs. Don't remember a thing about playing or singing that. (laughs) (laughs) It's just nothing. (laughs) I mean, uh, but I I really like that one because it, 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 it again, kind of plants this flag that you're, you're listening to stuff that is at least somewhat live off the floor right or it gives you that impression or illusion you know especially where it comes in the record because originally we had it way later but then moving it forward kind of it recontextualizes everything after it yeah and context is everything right i mean <laughs> especially when you come to Sequen- sequencing records yeah sequence is important yeah, because people people listen to our albums, yeah. you know, which is which is fantastic. But then you got to think about it in terms of doing it as an album, and, yeah. and having an experience rather than like making a just disconnected series of singles that have nothing to do with each other. Uh, yeah. So then after that, submarines. trying to remember the story that's one of the songs on the record that went through a a whole like just through the ringer in terms of iterations um we we knew we had something with the riff the main intro riff and the verse in the improv stage and then the chorus and uh the bridge came later and not only did they come later but the ones that are actually on the record are probably like the eighth or ninth version of of different choruses oh man (laughs) (laughs) so it's not like we just puked this record out in in the improv right 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 right. (laughs) like we created the ingredients or the palette but the actual cooking was done here later yeah, and that and that's that's a good example where uh, time having a lot of time can be your friend, right? Like it can you, you don't have to rush into a decision necessarily about something and put out something that you regret. Yeah, there's no there's no artificial um, schedules with yeah. this band. It's like I mean, our other things, our other responsibilities are, are kind of what create the schedule for the band, basically. You know. Yeah. Um, and and when we feel something is done we don't have to you know oh it's coming up right (laughs) although we do we do occasionally impose like uh virtual deadlines for ourselves i like i i love i love having a deadline like a a deadline's great for me because otherwise it's just like oh yeah i'll get to that that's fine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And there's plenty of time. There's like, oh wait, yeah. no, it needs to be done by uh, this time. Oh, okay, let's do it. <laughs> let's actually do it then. Uh, and also, it 
for me at least, I don't know if you feel the same way, but it kind of helps me get out of my head about things that I may be like, well, I don't know. Maybe you could do this. Maybe it's like, no, it's this. Okay, move on. Great. That's well, what yeah, because <laughs> for me, I actually have a re- really, really hard time letting go of artist records Yeah. that I make. Um, finishing, calling anything done is, for some reason, it's become harder and harder with every album. Not not when I work for other artists. Only on my stuff. Only <laughs> on your own stuff, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. That's you only get to, only get into the apocalypse now when it's you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, bring back the sound. This is after that. Um, that's like a, one of two songs on the record that I actually composed more uh, on my own mm-hmm. ahead of time and presented them to the band. Um, Greg has a couple like that as well. So it's, it, you know, it's a nice mix of the sort of raw trio ideas mm-hmm. and, um, like compose things where, you know, bring that sound. I wrote it on acoustic and most of the lyrics to before I recorded a note, which is actually kind of unusual for me. Soon as I get a riff, I'm like, Let's record. Right. <laughs> but before but before you lose it or it becomes mired in mediocrity by the world or <laughs> what's uh, or I you know overthink it too oh, much sure. and write yeah, yeah, yeah. and change it into something that's like too vanilla or something. I don't know, you know. Yeah. But this time I was like, no. I'm going to compose this I wanted to prove to myself I could do it. Because I think I'd get into kind of an unhealthy habit of using the process of overdubbing on yourself as a songwriting crutch in a way. Right. Yeah. It's one thing to have it be like, oh, that's his thing. And it's another thing to have it be, that's his crutch. Those are two very different things. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) True. True. Mercury Mouth. Ah, that's another one that had a ton of iterations just on the guitar um drums you know that's what that that song sounds like it could be on the heart as a monster to me i could see that yeah yeah so it's 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 kind of it's complex harmonically but like in like mix wise sonically it was actually really simple it's just one bass track a drum performance and stereo guitar. No other layers, really. Um, whereas a lot of the other songs start out like that, but by the time they get to the end, there's a few other things happening. Yeah, other things have been added. I mean, is that is that always, uh, like, is there any kind of internal struggle about that, about, you know, when and where to go minimal versus maximal? When to, you know, when does the adornment mess up the feng shui of the room so to speak right (laughs) i think we're pushing ourselves more and more and it's showing up on this record in particular we're airing more towards the minimal now yeah you know headstand's a really good example of that absolutely 100 percent um and i'm getting that feedback from a lot of people i kind of know and trust too they're like hey Thumbs up on the minimalism on this right. record, dude. <laughs> well, you you have you have a strong record of maximalism, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. So and I mean, density, yeah, and, yeah. And, 
this is dense, but in a different way, kind yeah. of. Yeah. It's not dense with big bar chord distorted guitars. Yeah, there's uh, there's a certain tonal clarity to it that like like it it sounds assured, but it doesn't sound uh, like in need of any anything else. And it but it, it's 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 not like it again. Not like it sounds a hundred percent different or anything along those lines. It, it's just that it's it's got a uh, it's got a confidence in what it is, which. That's one of the things I find so interesting about the writing process of it, of just like you know doing it through like <laughs> just hours and hours and days and days and days of improv. Uh, th- that's fascinating to me because I, I I think that that's some bands can pull that off, some bands can't, and I think that you know you guys are kind of an idea factory. It seems like so it's more just like which way do you want to go, which direction you want to go, and ultimately, like I think the you know for lack of a better term, stripped down works on this record when it's stripped down like great <laughs> haven't heard There's... those songs <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah i mean bands are always right the, the their one song right their yeah their their theme um and how close you get to nailing that i, I guess is your better songs yeah so i don't know i don't know i don't want to be i don't want to reinvent the wheel but i want it to to engage people that are already know the band yeah i mean i think it, i think it splits that difference well um so let's talk about the rest of it how about undecided that's the next one. Oh yeah that's the other one that i kind of brought in pretty finished um and another one that really explores the um the two new instruments that we brought into the record and i haven't really discussed which is baritone guitar and uh, bass six, bass six guitar as as coming, which is coming to the attention of the world with this uh, Beatles documentary, because mm-hmm. John Lennon plays a lot of bass six in it, and I, it's always been like one of my low key favorite kind of obscure instruments that are guitar shaped. Yeah, <laughs> but there I, is that, I, that that low end, that middle and low end that that happens, but it does, it's like, is that a bass? No, I don't think that's a bass. It blurs the line between what bass does, kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, or what it can do. Um, I think those basics appears on three songs. The baritone appears on like six songs. Um, It it just, Greg really latched onto it. it. It's like we're buying two new ones right now, basically. It's it's a part of the band sound now. Yeah, I was gonna say you're keeping the baritone guitar industry. <laughs> yeah, going. Yeah, in, 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 going. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Um, yeah, but but it 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 features it features heavily, but it's also you know it's a unique sound. Like I mean, there are bands that have you know obviously have used baritones, like you know Silkworms, a, a great example. Uh, yeah, I think even Sleaterkenny. I think Korean played, but it, it's it's a good instrument like any other. It's not like there's like the baritone sound, but then by the same token, the tonality of it, it's unique. There's not a lot of bands that do that, right? So it has some certain characteristics to it that that are are unique. I think where is even you play the same note on a baritone in the same octave as on a six string guitar. Yeah, sometimes there's extra harmonics on the baritone. It's it's almost like it's not really supposed to be there, 
but it just is because <laughs> right. of the yeah, scale, yeah, 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 yeah. the yeah. way the way it works, especially on the G string, on the well, it's not the G string on it's the baritone, uh, the baritone different tune. I forget, but the a, you know, the, B B uh, A no B no actually wait it'd be F. I don't remember whatever. Well, our lo- the low <laughs> string for us is is a flat. Right, okay. and then it, and then it's tuned like a normal baritone after that, like in fifths. So, I forget what the G string on a guitar would actually be. But my point is this: yeah, no, it's that the, note the has a high octave <laughs> harmonic on it on a baritone, or at, le- at least on the two that I have. Right, it, and it it's a it's a thing. It sound almost sounds like Asian in a way. Yeah, it's got that. Uh, it's got that kind of very specific sort of. Um, it's not chime exactly, but it, it no, just, it, it rings. It's a, yeah, the way it, it's like the, there's a really um, intense attack. Yeah, and then it kind of goes down, but then it does sustain in its own kind of wobbly way. Yeah, because the strings are longer. We just really appreciated the the way um, single notes sustaining sounded on the baritone. They sound different than than on a Les Paul or a Strat or a you know. Yeah, it almost sounds string. like it's got a guitar pedal on it or something. But it's like no, that's just how that sounds. It sounds. It's, it's mo- <laughs> like this. I think the string is moving more because it's longer. That yeah, you know that's probably like just a little yeah. bit more. So the, the you hit one note and if you have some cool effects on it. That one note can mean a lot, and yeah. and can kind of tell a whole little story. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a. I think that's I think that's very well said. I'm I'm, I'm a fan of that. Um, wait a second. So we did we did we did oh long division long divisions up next. Long division, I to to me, and I I I know it probably doesn't come off to most people this way, but to me that song is like a love letter to the cure's disintegration album which is the record i was attempting and failing to think of when we referenced the cure way early on i was like i can picture the album cover but like, uh, uh you know the one the mid period it's yeah yeah dumb which it isn't even mid period anymore i mean that's like can, way early can, but anyway that's all i guess about. yeah it is yeah <laughs> but um, yeah so disintegration I, by the cure totally yeah i made a concerted effort or i just was got right back into the cure when we were starting to write for this album i was listening to all those albums all the time yeah head on the door disintegration um pornography um you know um the top yeah underrated the- record I feel oh my god that wild record wild. is insane i mean that record is just mind-blowing um and so i had a lot of that going through me um when we when we stumbled upon the riff for long division it's got it's got that feel uh but it sounds but it sounds like you guys but it's got that feel it's got that density uh which is interesting and that tempo kind of that that yeah. slow kind of like 80 bpm thing they were into during that period just not in a hurry to get anywhere, but doing the no, thing. No, <laughs> just like languid in like minute and a half intros. Yeah, and, man. 
that's the, that's that's you're, you're speaking my language, my dude. That's that's good stuff. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, and it comes across without being overly referential. I mean, it still sounds like you guys, so that's good. Uh, bad translation. Uh, well, if 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 um, they're going from the cure to slint uh, on this one, this one is interesting because there's only there was only four bars of it in the improv and every time it went by i would just be like why didn't uh, slint keep playing and finish that song <laughs> right 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 yeah yeah i know what you're saying <laughs> and so i think for me i was just tr trying to finish it the way i thought they might at least musically and then lyric lyrically and vocally that was more greg's not not very slinty uh contribution <laughs> right yeah 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 that's that but it would be i mean there's there, there was a cottage industry of bands that, that tried to do that for uh, a certain amount of time which yeah no names mentioned but like you know some of some of it's great some of it maybe hasn't aged that well uh which leads us to last song half moon so yeah i think on every well the three rebooted failure records we have you know, um this being the third wild type droid uh greg has always presented a song during the recording process that is just like amazing but it also only seems to work as the last song <laughs> <laughs> no totally i get it yeah you yeah, know yeah <laughs> and, and, but it's like it could only be the last song but like None of the other songs really work as the last song either. Yeah. We didn't really have a last song. So it, it, it was just fortuitous that he presented that. And um, I don't know. I just, I, I think it's one of his best songs ever. Yeah, it's a good one. And, and again, um, strong opener, strong ender. And not necessarily the way that people might expect. But, you know, it's... That's what's the point of repeating yourself, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the whole deal. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, so last thing on it, of course, that we just went through uh, wild type droid available, uh, failureband.bandcamp.com. If you haven't already uh, picked it up, the Beeple artwork, which I love. Mm. Yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong when the dawn of the NFTs, which <laughs> there was like one, it was like millions, like tens of millions of dollars that like was, it was a Beeple artwork. I, I think, uh, that was an NFT. Uh, yeah. I mean, what's I, I love that image i think that image is great i think it fits with the sort of like you know pseudo spaceman space imagery kind of thing but it has a different sort of feel to it what spoke to you about that image as the as the record cover like where did it, how did that come to pass i mean to be honest i i liked it when i saw it but it, it was greg that was just like that's the cover i don't want to talk about it anymore <laughs> <laughs> and he was just like that's it fair enough well, if you have something better, I'll look at it. <laughs> but this is going to be the cover. <laughs> I love okay. that. Okay. Okay. Sometimes well. you, if someone feels that strongly, you're just like, okay. Yeah, but what cool. do you what do you say? What do you say to that? Okay. It's like I like it. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. Let's do it. Done. Um, no, but I I I I, I dig it. Um, it's it's. It kind of is, um, 
I don't know. There's just something about it that sort of sums up uh, the this particular album lyrically. It fits. There's a lot of reference. Yeah, there. Yeah, it, it fits. It it just it just maybe better than a lot of our other covers in a way. <laughs> uh, I think it's an awesome record, and I'm so glad you came on to talk about it and everything else, Ken. And thank you being for so generous of your time. Uh, last thing that I do on the show, it's the only can question I ever ask. You can choose to interpret it however you like, but why do you do what you do? Why do I do? Number one, I enjoy it. I, 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 and number two, I don't know what else I would do, honestly. I, like, it just feels right. It feels natural. And, I've been doing it for so long now and had so many ups and downs and I've, it never occurred to me to change, you know, it's just like, no, this is it. I just love, I love recording. That's, that's, that's my happy place for sure. And you have a YouTube page where people can learn all about it and it's it's one of the few things worth watching on youtube i think except for this show of course uh ken andrews <laughs> thank you so much this has been a pleasure hey, sir thank you for having me i appreciate it all right brother take care okay bye oh there he goes mr ken andrews let's hear uh let's hear headstand uh, uh thanks for listening everybody
inside my head over and over again you played yourself to death on you failure that's off a fantastic planet and uh before that we had one off the new one i didn't realize, <laughs> realize that uh star wars slash disney was litigious about the word droid <laughs> that's really bizarre to me Can you hear me now but uh yeah wild type droid is the name of that record uh available at the time of me speaking these words on Bandcamp, 
failureband.bandcamp.com. Uh, go get it. Celebrate Bandcamp Day. If you're hearing this later, you can still get it. Are we going? Uh, it's it's cool. And that featured Mr. Ken Andrews. That was a good time. I hope you guys enjoyed that. The name of the show is Conan Transport Tonic Reversal. Thank you very much for listening to it. You can find the show Thursdays, 8 Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific on RadioNope.com. As we come to the close of our broadcast day. Also streaming YouTube, Twitch, Facebook when I feel like it. ProtonicReversal.com for the archives. Always free, no ads, no sponsors, no kidding. If you like the show and want to get episodes sooner, $1 a month at patreon.com slash Reversal. We'll achieve that goal. Anyone within the sound of my voice. Thanks for people uh, liking, subscribing to the show, uh, sharing the episodes around. All that helps people find it. And what's this darn nice thing to do, isn't it? 50,000 watts of power. More cool stuff coming up. William Goldsmith, Sandy Real Estate, and the Foo Fighters. Fleta, Jawbox, Jesse Broderick. Um, freaking Godflesh. <laughs> Jesu. Uh, thanks so much for, for watching, listening. Thanks for being a part of the show. Turns sound into electricity. Stay safe out there. Can you hear me now? Out on Route 128, dark and lonely. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. 
Hey, hey! 